Hello and welcome to Today in Film episode 30. I'm your host Dominic Parry and with today is Kevin Parry. Now in today's episode we're going to be talking about the original Italian job released in 1969. Uh, what do you think of this film? I think it's an excellent film so it ticks all the boxes for me. Um, I'm a car enthusiast. Uh, I like um, classic British things. Uh, I think it's a great film that, um, that's got uh, a fun aspect to it. Um, lots of good actors. Um, it takes you back to a different place and a different time, really. What did you think? Well, this is the first time I've watched it in a good few years. And uh, I have to say that it's not a film you'd watch for any kind of major plot or you know script. It's a very enjoyable movie and experience, but it is very simple. Yeah, very light-hearted. So I've probably watched it ten times, I guess, uh, over the years. Um, saw it when I was quite young originally. Um, and it's one of those sort of films for a car enthusiast. There's always something different that you notice every time you see it. So if you're into uh, into the minis, um, obviously there's... a, a Bit of an interest there. Um, the works of, uh, of the actors that have, that have taken part, of course. So you've got uh, you've got some class uh, British actors taking part, um, and then all the sort of uh, classic cars that you can see in the background in the shots as well um, make it quite interesting. Yeah. So this is um, well, it's a very easy going film like if anything it's it is a kind of very basic heist movie without the steps that modern heist movies have where it's kind of like assembling the team and all that stuff because although it has that it's not kind of in depth it just happens and it's just like here's the team yeah so like you know modern movies they kind of have the big right we're going to do this and it's like this is this guy this is this guy the only person that really had that was uh, Professor Plum, so it's yeah. There was a bit of a build up to uh, to him being drafted into the team, wasn't there? Yeah. The team were introduced, of course. So uh, there are a few scenes where uh, you sort of met the drivers, but uh, on a very superficial sort of level, really, and you did understand who was going to be doing what uh, as it went along. Really, I thought Michael Caine was very well cast in the in the main part. Um, I think his accent and his acting um, sort of helped the, the film along. Apparently, they uh, they wanted Robert Redford for the lead part, mm. but, uh, but eventually it, uh, it went to Michael Caine, uh, which suited the uh, the essentially British sort of aspect of the film very well. I thought. Um, well, it seems looking at some of the uh, kind of things that happened back when it was being made or before it got made. There were multiple people around it trying to get it to be something different. So kind of, obviously, Paramount, I think it was, wanted Robert Redford, which obviously, you know, is American, not the best kind of British thing. Uh, then you had Fiat, who wanted the Fiat 500 instead of the Mini. So yeah, it's kind of, yeah. this film that was supposed to be kind of British had just people kind of trying to come in at multiple stages to go, what if we do this instead? Yeah, I think the Fiat Five Hundred in the in the main part would have uh, changed the film completely. So apparently, Fiat um, offered the Five Hundred uh, car that you know was was a popular seller for them at the time. This was nineteen sixty nine, um, 
they offered those cars free of charge and 50 grand on top yeah so oh, right okay and uh, and anyway they stuck to their guns and uh, and they decided it should be the, the mini cooper um so they had to go out and buy uh 16 cars i believe we used in the uh, in the filming and they were uh the cars mainly in the main shots were Mini Cooper S models. Um, I think they probably used in the crash scenes a couple of cars that uh, had already been damaged anyway. So yeah. The Mini was brought out in 1959. It had been around for 10 years by then, um, with the Cooper S versions then being uh, being introduced in the, in 1961. So, um, you know, the Minis were, uh, were quite sort of uh, big on the scene at the time. And um, I can't imagine the film would have been quite as successful if Fiat cars had been um, had been in the main part, really. Well, it was <coughs> it was successful in uh, the UK because obviously it's a quintessentially British film with you know British characters in the lead, British cars, and it is a very it's a very kind of homely film, but patriotic, if, uh, patriotic, yeah, really like. The um, American marketing campaign for this film, the the uh, poster I showed you yesterday for it, yeah, which it doesn't at all describe the film. You know, some guy with a Tommy gun and a girl is not the film in any way. Yeah. So and the uh, the poster for that was was it Michael Caine? No, it was just some. It was just Sorry, it was some it? guy with a mafia outfit. Tommy so gun. Guy with a Tommy was, gun, and then a, a naked girl sitting with her back to the camera. With some. Thing on her back, sort like... of, uh, some patterning on her back, which uh, which was a little bit confusing, really. I think the uh, the ad campaign in Britain was far more direct, and uh, and had lots of sort of um, you know red, white, and blue color and uh, and all that sort of thing tied very much better into the film. <clears throat> well, I think um, it is a very, it is very British, and because of that, like some people said, that's why it didn't do well in America. Obviously, the marketing campaign didn't help it too much, but these films like this, you know, you don't really get many of them now. No, well, it, it's uh, it certainly stood the test of time, and uh, and it may not have been success successful in America at the time, but I would suppose there's probably uh, a bit of interest in America now, uh, and you know, in, in nations abroad. Because it's just remained as an icon, really, and anybody who's interested in the mini scene, certainly uh, they would have seen it. And, uh, and I think it's been um, overdubbed in very uh, various languages. Yeah. Every year, somewhere in the world, there's uh, there's a big international meeting called the International Mini Meeting, and uh, and the last time that was in Britain, uh, the Italian job was certainly screened there. Um, you know. Uh, Hundreds of people watching the film as it was being shown, and um, it certainly doesn't seem to have lost any of its popularity. Well, it's. Uh, I think it is probably one of, if not the most iconic British film there is. Well, it had pr pretty much everything, didn't it? Really, it had, yeah. Uh, it had a little bit about the uh, the football sort of fans and the fact that there was a football game. I suppose that harks back to uh, winning the World Cup in '66. Um, there was all the sort of uh, the minis and the Aston Martins and the E-type Jags. Um, there was fantastic scenery. There was yeah. some absolutely excellent film work. 
some of the, the aerial shots where it showed the bus sort of uh, threading through the alpine roads around the hairpin bends and all that sort of thing. Um, the stunt scenes with the minis, uh, you know, going through um, shopping arcades and, uh, and going through the sewer pipes and across the weir on the, uh, on the roof of the Fiat building, all of those things really. And then I suppose the, um, the one sort of patriotic aspect of it was uh, we were getting one over on the, on the Italians by nicking the gold and, uh, yeah. and sort of taking it from under their noses. Well, I think one of the interesting things is that for a film that is essentially, it is a heist movie, but you know it's it is a car movie as well. There are a lot of cars that get destroyed in this film. So you get the Lamborghini at the start, then you get the three sports cars, you know, the E types and the uh, yeah, the Aston Martin. It's just you know, there's a there's a uh, there's a level of destruction of cars that you don't really see in modern movies, unless it's kind of just wanton destruction. Well, they're, they're actual uh, cars which are being pushed off the mountain, aren't they, as well? No, they, no the uh, the ones they actually pushed off the mountain were all uh, fakes. Yeah, well, the, no, right. So, so, so they weren't complete cars. Yeah. They were damaged cars. I think someone had their engines taken out and that sort of thing, but they were actual cars which were being pushed off the mountain. It wasn't any CGI or it wasn't made up. Um, so you know, I, I doubt that uh, a filmmaker would have that right to um, would, would would be able to do that these days with uh, health and safety concerns and environmental yeah. issues and that sort of thing. Um, but yeah, the the opening scene for me just sets the tone of the whole film really. So uh, so you've got the uh, the Italian character um, driving a Lamborghini Miura red car uh through the alpine roads with sort of you know, snow in the background and and he's uh he's driving along with matt monroe singing on days like these matt monroe was a very popular artist at the time british guy so uh singing singing a, a song which uh which includes italian lyrics as well um and everything is fine isn't it uh, yeah. really lovely blue sky with uh, sunshine in the background and then he enters a tunnel and uh, and meets his end so uh, so from there it sort of uh, it carries on but uh, an iconic start to the to the film without a doubt yeah i think i think um one of the things like the script would be interesting to look at for the start mainly because well, there is actually a squire magazine um I'm not sure exactly when the date was. I think it was back in the 80s, but uh, they did a retrospective on um, on the Italian job. And in the Squire magazine, you could you can find that magazine, which has got the entire script in it. Mm. So I think that's a bit of a rarity and a bit of a uh, collector's item now. But um, that's certainly out there and it's been done. I, I, I've not looked, but uh, it wouldn't surprise me if the entire script was on the internet somewhere as well. Yeah, it probably is. But... Um... That start bit, it's like, it's a, it's a perfect way to do the uh, classic kind of opening credits. So it's a very easy scene to watch. There's nothing happening, like, that you're kind of drawn to. He's just yeah. driving. Yeah. And it's a very, you know, it's a very calm kind of start. And then obviously the movie starts and he crashes. Have... But you don't you don't get opening credits so much in films these days, do you? 
you don't unless people want to be stylistic and kind of you know this is this is my opening and this is how I want to start it and kind of these are the key players and stuff like that. It's a very old thing that for some movies it does work nowadays, but I think for a lot of films it isn't the kind of best thing because obviously it does it does a uh, pull the pull the kind of uh, immersion already. Yeah, and it doesn't. Uh, so so you you're uh, you're watching this car being driven up through the Alps and um, and the credits are rolling. Uh, the graphics are not sort of intrusive, so you're not, you, you know, you, you're you're watching this while reading that, and um, and the two go quite well together, don't they? And then they show the credits again at the end of the film. Yeah. So, but the uh, the credits are extremely short at yeah, the end. Yeah. So it's you know it's literally kind of I think it's less than a minute, and they're done. Well, which... that that for me, you see, in modern films, sometimes the credits can run on and on and on. I mean, for example, the uh, the stunt drivers had a, a major part to play in this film, but they were credited as just one company. Uh, I mean, handled the stunts. Yeah. No, no individual driver well, was credited. I think the, I think realistically, the the way they did that was kind of the way you see on uh, modern films and stuff, when they might have uh, the catering and stuff like that. Yeah. You know, the catering's done by Food Co or something, and it's one group they don't say he is the head chef because there could be another hundred people involved yeah, but and it goes on and on doesn't it in t- times you know in uh, in modern films it seems to uh, just run on and on yeah but yeah, i think the the italian job is a very kind of i don't i'm not quite sure how much the budget was but they did some stuff like uh, the traffic jam was in part caused by the mafia and then in part caused by the crew who were blocking off uh, roads and stuff. Right. So obviously, you know, you wouldn't get away with doing that now because you'd probably be having a big load of fines, wouldn't you? So <laughs> it's a, it's <clears throat> that kind of way of bootleg filmmaking, essentially, like, you know, cutting corners to get to do like certain things. If you tried to do that now, it just, it wouldn't go well. No. For the for the uh, for the car enthusiast watching it, the uh, that traffic jam scene, you, you know, there's just sort of wall to wall Fiat five hundreds, and there's Lanciers and, um, and Alfa Romeos, and you know, it's just a delight really to pick out the different cars that, uh, that you can see in that, well, that shot alone. I think that's the interesting thing because obviously, if majority of those cars are real cars, yeah, you know, they're real people who just got caught up in this uh, thing. Then there's no kind of uh, kind of uh, there's no manipulation from the crew of being like and we're going to no stick st- some lanciers and some fits here. There's no staging of it. No, it's yeah. a, it's a very uh, natural sort of scene, isn't it? Really. So so just looking at it, um, I picked out some uh, some unusual cars in the background. So I was sort of watching that when we uh, when we watched the film um, recently. So there's even things like mini mokes and. Uh, they drive a Fiat Dino, so one of the um, the mafia guys has got a Fiat Dino, which has got a rare car now. There's a, a Lancia Flaminia. There's um, all sorts of different things, unusual cars like Triumph Heralds, which you wouldn't really think would be um, big in Italy at the time. Um, and Morris and Oxford, um, Austin Cambridges and that sort of thing. Um, 
all sorts of cars being used in the background, with the the central uh, car being the Mini, I would say. Well, I think the interesting thing is that the the uh, the vehicles that the team have aren't just minis. You know, they have the sports cars, which obviously get destroyed. Uh, but you know, they have also got a uh, you know the coach. They've also got the minibus kind of thing, and then they've got a Land Rover. So yes, yeah, yeah, fully spec Land Rover with cars throughout the film actually. So uh, so it starts with uh, obviously the Miura. And then uh, shortly after that, when uh, when um, Michael Caine's character is coming out of prison, his girlfriend comes to pick him up, and she's stolen the uh, Pakistani ambassador's car. And yeah. uh, apparently, that really was the Pakistani ambassador's car that they were using. Um, Charlie Croker then goes to pick up his Aston Martin from safe storage. So again, there's a big focus on the Aston Martin car, and uh, and he leans under the bonnet to get his wallet of money well, from under there. Well, apparently that entire exchange was uh, was uh, kind of improvised by the two of them. Right. So I think, you know, the whole, because like, obviously that has the line about uh, hunting tigers with a machine gun. Yeah. Which is, <laughs> you know, it's a very, uh, it's a very kind of witty comment that for a scriptwriter, that kind of witty comment is a very hard thing to get. Yeah. So you know, it kind of I can see how and that I can see how it's kind of improvised and that joke just comes across naturally. Yeah, and then he drives down the sort of exit ramp from uh, from the garages into a very sort of um, late sixties London scene with all the sort of uh, you know high rise buildings and um, the car just looks superb, you know, because it's well, a really nice Aston Martin, swoopy curves. Yeah. Uh, it's a it's a convertible as well. And he comes down, and um, there's an Alfa Romeo GTV parked in the background. I think and, the uh, and off he goes with a roar of exhaust. Yeah. And... I think the interesting thing about that, the uh, that kind of scene is that that's the only time that he's seen to be driving, essentially. And because, it wasn't him. Well, no. What well, the thing is that because Michael Caine couldn't drive at the time, and when you see the car pull up to the hotel. You don't actually see the guy's face. It's kind of very dark and yeah. covered. So then, you know, obviously it cuts then to him getting out of the car. And you can kind of assume, well, it wasn't in one car at all, was it? Yeah, yeah. Which, for a film about cars, having the having the main character not drive is, well, quite weird, isn't it? Something they've got to get around, I guess. I didn't realise he wasn't a driver at the time. That's interesting. Uh, anyway, she then goes on to uh, stage a sort of uh, a coming out party for him, coming out of prison that is, and uh, and gets a load of Dolly Birds there to uh, to sort of entertain him. Um, and then shortly after, he uh, he goes to a room in the hotel to see the video, um, which has been prepared by the guy who loses his life in the Miura <clears throat> about the uh, the heist they're going to carry out to get the gold, which uh, which apparently is. Uh, a settlement for a Chinese um, factory being set up um, by Fiat. Well, I think the the interesting thing about this is that the uh, the kind of exposition, so the you know the explanation of the heist and all that stuff, it is extremely overt, and it's something that you know a lot of filmmakers nowadays would try and go away from because 
it goes on for a good few minutes and it's just the guy talking and talking about the heist. This is where they're in the uh, in the meeting room in the hotel. When he's watching, the, when he's no, when oh, they're right, watching no. the video, yeah, yeah, and he's kind of going for, it and he's like, he's like, this device we use and all this, and he kind of keeps going. And obviously, in a modern movie, you would try and do that in like a really interesting way, and it's kind of different. But here it is just it makes sense because Charlie Croker is just some guy, yeah, you know, he's an ex-con who's just come out of prison, so he's not really wired into it. So him having a video makes sense. He's a kind of small time crook, isn't he? But obviously he's at that stage in his life as a, a criminal, I suppose, where he's fearless. And, um, and you know, he's, he's the sort of man who, who could take this on because um, he believes that much in himself. Anyway, and then we're introduced to um, Noel Coward's character, Mr. Bridger. And um, and he brings, I think, uh, you know, Noel Coward, having been one of the, the finest classical actors, uh, brings a, some gravitas to the whole film. And um, it was his last film, I believe. Yeah. Well, he he was ill during it, so it's. Um, if I'm pretty sure, the assistant character that is in the film, uh, is 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 either related to him or it's a friend of his. It was kind of they were cast essentially to help him out. Yeah, which he does. He does say a few lines, I think. Yeah, but, but uh, Noel Coward's uh, lines are kept pretty short, aren't they? Yeah. So he doesn't say a great deal to camera, um, and the way it's shot as well. You, you know, there are certain certain shots where you you certainly see that he's not in good health. I think, and I and I I believe the um, the shot where he's walking down through the prison. Had to be shot in about three different takes or so. No, it was, I don't think it was takes. I think it was uh, they shot it in kind of chronology, but he kind of you know stopped and then they started again. So, oh right, right. So obviously they just edited it together, so it looks like one continuous walk. Right. Which it's you know it, it's very well done because. You could watch this film and just not pick up on the fact that he's ill, because he is still very good in the role. Yeah. yeah. Um, so it really was. It was. Um, it was a case where some actors were cutting their teeth. Some actors were having their first break with the film. Well, and others, like Noel Coward, it was his last film. I think. So, yeah, I think the interesting thing is that, uh, like I was saying earlier about the kind of getting the gang together when they have the uh, meeting room introduction the whole gang that's there he introduces the drivers very very basically yeah he introduces the other people and then he just goes and hears the people doing the like the thing that like in modern movies they would have to have some amazingly interesting thing about each person whereas this is just uh a bunch of criminals. Yeah. So you don't really need to know, like, this person does this, this person does this. But as you as you move on then into the uh, into the actual sort of the meat of the film, as it were, um, it's the car that becomes the star, isn't it? So yeah. The driver is sort of you know they're they're used in little bit scenes and things. You know, there's a couple of scenes where they're trying to get the cars on the ramp to go into the back of the bus. You know, after the after the robbery. Um, 
but apart from that it's all about the cars it's all about uh, the Mini Coopers basically winning out over the other vehicles that are trying to chase them, isn't it? So it's, yeah. you know, they're sliding around corners, you know, steadfastly sort of um, spinning the wheels and off they go. Whereas the uh, the Motor Guzzi bikes are sort of sliding and crashing and, you know, the Alfa Romeo police cars are being washed away downstream and, um, and crashing into the, into the sort of uh, well, the bars at the end. One of the interesting things is that uh, I think well, one of the reasons I think this is so kind of popular still, and why it's stood the test of time, is that as you know, it's it's a very good uh, car movie. The the stunts are very well done. It looks it looks great. But the other thing is that you know it has good acting and good uh, comedy in it. Yeah. So there's there's no jokes. I don't think in this that really come across like oh you know that's a joke, obviously. And it just doesn't land. So, like uh, Professor Plum or Peach, whatever it is. Well, Professor Peach brings some real comedy into it. Yeah, it? yeah. So, uh, so they start off by, um, well, they they describe in one of their early meetings that they're going to need a, a techie expert to deal with all the sort of computer side of it. And the only guy that uh, they can think who might meet that sort of uh, criteria <coughs> is Professor Peach. Only problem is he's. Uh, He's been um, put away because he's been up to no good. Um, and there's a scene with Irene Handel, uh, who was absolutely ec excellent in that in that part. Um, anyway, they managed to uh, to go and get him out of the home that he's now living in. Um, he's got a bit of a thing for uh, for large women, and uh, they get him out anyway. And um, and he's the man to uh, to deal with all the sort of um, tricky electronics bits and. Computer programming and all that sort of thing. He was he was played by uh, Benny Hill, wasn't it? Benny Hill was the, the character, yeah, and he fitted that perfectly. Um, a few misdemeanors along the way, where he's uh, pushing a lady into the bus by fondling her buttocks. <laughs> well, I, I find it quite funny that uh, you know, obviously after that scene, for some reason you see him getting arrested, and then he pushes her into the. And they're trying to get her through to the uh, door into the police station. But then that never comes back. No. Which is no. obviously, you know, you can just assume that at the end of the film, they've just, less, they've just left him there. Yeah. So it's... He's not in any of the later scenes. No, he's, he's not. not he's which not is, in the bus at the end. Which is one of the weirdest things, because, you know, usually you'd have some wrapping up of it, but instead they just kind of ignore him and he just goes off into the police station, apparently. Yeah, well, his work is done, I suppose, but uh, he's even helping a woman into the police station, isn't he? It's the same woman, yeah. yeah, yeah. So, so so they're obviously taking him off to deal with it. Um, yeah, yeah, it's one of those things which is uh, goes unexplained, doesn't it, really? One scene that I liked was, uh, so um, Michael Caine's character turns up um, hiding in the toilet when uh, Noel Coward's character comes in for his uh, for his daily ablution. And uh, and Mr. Bridger is uh, is offended by this, you know, because he thinks that he's uh, he accuses Noel Coward, Michael Caine rather, he is accused of trying to uh, interrupt his daily ablutions, and um, and following that, then Mr. Bridger walks into the office of the governor, sort of uh, goes and takes a seat, and then uh, and then begins complaining about this, about how. Uh, 
yeah. how the governor's not doing his job properly and uh, and all this sort of thing. The governor's played um, by the Mesura, who is uh, <clears throat> one of the dad's army guys. And uh, superb scene, I thought, you know, where uh, Mr. Bridges obviously got, uh, you know, quite a lot of sway in the prison. And, um, and, and he goes and challenges the governor in that way. Well, I think it's, you know, there's the line of, uh, you meant to keep people out as well as in. Yeah, that's right. So it's kind of this, it's a weird thing. It's, um, it's the whole thing of the crime boss, the safest place for him to operate from is the prison. Because obviously they can't chuck him in prison more, can they? Yeah. Yeah. But they, but, but, um, yeah, like he says, if the prison's doing its job properly, then people should be kept out as well as in. Well, it's um, you. You get a sense that he obviously does run the prison. You know, obviously not legally, but he's in charge around there. When he has, uh, when he's kind of, when he watches the video of the uh, heist and all that stuff. Yeah. And he kind of says to the one guy, like, "How's your house?" And then the guy kind of walks out cowardly, and it's like, "You're very welcome," or something like that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And then, of course, he uh, he says, "We better have a funeral." Because uh, yeah. you know they need to meet and uh, they need to talk it through, and then there's a further meeting in uh, in his Harley Street dentist, isn't there? Where he's got all the criminals together, yeah. um, sort of under locked doors, really, um, and they're thrashing out all the sort of um, the finer points of it. He says about um, Professor Peach. So, uh, so one of the other characters says, "But what if he's not bent?" And Noel Coward's character says, "Everybody in the world is bent." And, uh, and obviously they managed to pull the strings to um, to get him on the team. Yeah. Well, I think the interesting thing is um, they refer to him uh, as the best like computer expert in, I think, either the world or Britain, which, you know, at the time, it's kind of, <clears throat> that's quite a big thing to say. You know, yeah, this is yeah. the top guy and they're going for him. And it doesn't take much uh, persuasion from Telton, does it? Not really. No. Well, he's got quirks, and uh, and you know they 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 go over to see him uh, in the home. Doesn't seem that he's being kept there uh, against his will, actually. But uh, and then there's a scene where um, Croker opens up the, the blind, and they've got two fat ladies sat yeah. on the back of the Aston Martin, you know. And uh, Professor Peach gets very excited about this, and. Um, and wants to be part of the job. Um, the the drivers of the minis are introduced, so they're Chris, Tony, and Dominic. Yeah. And uh, and you know as he's going round the table introducing the different uh, different people in the team, um, it's quite an amusing sort of uh, amusing scene, and uh, and introduces Camp Freddy. Well, I think the interesting thing is that uh, Camp Freddy and. Uh, Professor Peach are the only two characters that, apart from uh, Charlie Croker, that really have any kind of quirk to them. So, like, these are those two characters are probably the closest to modern heist movie characters. Yeah. Where they have something unique. So, obviously, Camp Freddy, when they're in the, you know, when they're in their suits and stuff, he wears a, wears a bright pink suit, which uh, I don't know where you'd get a bright pink suit from, but. He somehow find he somehow got one and well it was nineteen sixties London so I wouldn't have thought it would be different. different well, really. it's a weird thing is that 
he's he's uh, watching the Land Rover following the gold into the square, and uh, he's wearing the full suit still, and then he kind of walks off with his overalls. Yeah. So I meant to assume that in the space of a couple minutes, he changes from a suit into overalls and heads half, like probably half a mile down the road, and it's it's obviously very stylized. But if you actually look at it, it doesn't really make much sense of how you'd get from one point of that place all the way to the other side. Yeah, and um, there's this, there's that scene in in the piazza as well, isn't there? Yeah, yeah, where he's he's up on the uh, up on the balcony, sort of watching, and uh, and he's got his helmet and um, and overalls ready to take part, but it doesn't show what part he takes, does it? No, it doesn't. He just kind of he's just there. There's a few, uh, there's a few characters who are just there throughout the film, but it's yeah. Going back to your kind of uh, line about uh, everyone's bent, it's you know if you had that in a film now, you might think it means like what everyone's gay, but obviously back then he's kind of you know, he means bent as in crook. Yeah. So there there are certain bits of. Uh dialogue in it which suit that time aren't there really they're very much of the time that it was made back in the 60s got different connotations now yeah and uh, and i think um from what i've read the uh the word camp in in this film was the first time that it had been used in a film to describe someone who was gay yeah well it's it's an interesting dynamic but like between uh, films nowadays and then, you know, it's the the quirk of this character is that he is gay. That's, yeah, that's the whole quirk. But obviously, you know, there are films that have that kind of quirk still as like a character trait, but it's kind of frowned upon now. But you know, it works so well. But I guess that's part of what uh, what makes the Italian job what it is isn't it really they get away with those little bits the bit yeah. that i like about it as well is um you know to to my mind a lot of the films um, more modern films have got too much violence and too much sort of you know um i guess too much focus on uh, on that and you know with with a film like this you realize there's going to be some um you know strong arm tactics at some point well all they, they don't show it so no they do because there was when they attack the uh, van they knock a few people on the head with batons yeah but it doesn't sort of uh, you know it, it, it doesn't hang on those sort of moments does it really no but I mean, the they thing smash is the windows with with uh, baseball bats yeah but the one scene particularly which um which they could have gone a little bit more into um and, and probably would have in a modern film is where croker um so mr bridger because he's um, he's invaded his toilet, um, orders that he should be given a going over, and uh, and the heavies turn up at uh, at his girlfriend's flat, and they chase him around a bit, and then they go into a room where you can see a bit of sort of rough and tumble going on. Yeah. Uh, you know, and they're hitting him with a cosh or whatever, but they don't uh, they don't sort of dwell on that. No. So you know he's getting a bit of a a working over, and that's it. Well, the thing is that in a lot of modern movies when they uh, do the attack on the uh, van and they hit the people with the batons yeah you you know it wouldn't be out of place in a modern movie if they got out the uh, thing and just shot the people yeah which 
you know, obviously, the crime that they're committing is the robbery. Yeah, they're not. You know, they're not there to go around killing other people or no, no. You know, seriously harming. It's others. fairly sort of. Um, it's well done, isn't it? And it's fairly innocent, really. I mean, they're squirting some blue dye on the windows yeah. of the uh, the van. Bop a few people with the, uh, you know, with a cricket bat or whatever, and uh, and off they go. And it's all so that they can facilitate the uh, the robbery that's going to take place, isn't it? And then uh, they just get the uh, the van which has got all the gold in in through a pair of large gates into a sort of um, a building behind and then very simply just uh, take the gold out the back put it in the back of the minis and off they go yeah there's a couple of things which uh, are like little technical um, inaccuracies so at one point when they're preparing all the minis and uh, Michael Caine's character comes in and he's sort of shouting orders to various people uh, the one thing he says about quartz iodine lamps are those quartz iodine, which were, uh, those lamps were sort of uh, fairly new on the market. So Sibi, um, French manufacturer, brought those in. And, um, and they were very much the buzz thing at the time, you know, very bright compared to other lamps that were available. Uh, and then there's one scene where the mini is jacked up and the back is, uh, is jacked up in the air. And, uh, and one of the guys explains that he's got a problem with the differential. So any uh, anybody who knows anything about minis will realise that the differential is part of the, you know the, the transmission, which in a mini is firmly in the front of the car. You certainly don't need to uh, jack up the back yeah. to uh, to do anything with the differential. And if he were, you'd have to take the engine and gearbox out anyway. So uh, little bits like that that I'm sure all the sort of uh, the mini buffs um, would have picked up on. So the cars used are um, Mini Mark I uh, Cooper S um, variants. So these are the most desirable cars that, uh, that you know the Mini enthusiasts are now um, looking to get. Um, it's a bit of a cringe sort of uh, when you see the Minis being chucked off the, off the side, particularly the ones where it looks like they're coming out the back of the bus and going down, you know, being smashed yeah. to smithereens going down the hill. Um, well, they're they're obviously. Um not like working cars because the i think the final one it falls off falls a bit of distance and it explodes into a ball of flames of black smoke yeah which you know it's it's obviously they've stuck some uh, demolition charges or something inside it yeah set those off once it hit the uh, thing and there's a scene where they're where they're working out the whole thing uh they're testing the cars and what have you um and what looks like a racing circuit. I'm not sure exactly yeah. if it is, but um, they come flying along and uh, and to partly go up a ramp and then end up, um, you know, crashing the car. And there's one where the car goes up the ramp through the bricks and then comes to grief on the other side and then slides and crashes into another car, which if you look at it, doesn't even look like a complete car. No. So, um, so some of them, I believe, were wrecks that they got from scrapyards and you know and the one that was chucked down the mountain i think they took the engine out and you know it was it was not a complete car i think possibly the um the jaguar was uh the jaguar e-type that they showed crack being crushed so the one that's famously got the uh, the number plates cry cry yeah uh, i think that was a damaged car also i think well i think all of them were so it's it's obviously a lot more cost effective if they can get some uh, you know kind of defective cars yeah then obviously 
you know, going to Jaguar or someone saying, yeah. can we have some new E-types because we want to lob them off a mountain. Yeah. Well, apparently they bought 16 Mini Coopers, Cooper S's, and every one of those was uh, destroyed in, in the making of the film. Yeah. So um, there's been a lot of myths ever since, you know, what happened to the uh, original cars. And, uh, and, you know, red, white and blue Cooper S cars are around. There's um, There are some that... Um, they go out and do shows and things like that, and uh, and there's reputed to be um, a guy who bought some of the parts off some of the cars um, at auction, and then he's recreated three cars based on some of those parts. So yeah. I don't know how many of those parts or how authentic they are or whatever. Well, I think but in in what I read on the internet, uh, he also had Michael Caine help him to recreate the cars, which I can't see what Michael Caine would be able to do no, with no. cars, I don't know. Um, but certainly it was a good choice of car. I thought uh, the Mini Cooper S just looked superb in, in, in every one of the shots, really. And, you know, they, they were high-spec cars, so they had um, Minilite wheels, which were, which were very desirable and, uh, and quite expensive at the time. Sibby lamps on the front. They had uh, roll bars inside. Um, they suited the film perfectly. Yeah. And of course, the Mini was a very uh, iconic car, very popular even then. So it sort of symbolised 60s Britain. Um, and it was a classless car. So uh, so everybody from you know, the district nurse or maybe a mum taking her kiddies to school might be driving a Mini. And then you had famous people like uh, Peter Sellers and the Beatles and you know um, some of the film stars yeah. at the time, Twiggy and, and people like that, you know. It was sort of synonymous with the uh, the cool Britannia sort of um, vibe that was going on. You know, um, London was a very, very popular sort of um, central city um, in style at that time. And, uh, and the Mini fitted that perfectly. Yeah, I think my, uh, my final point I'm going to make is the in modern heist movies, the cars they use would be the, like, you know, fancy cars though, you know, yeah. sports cars and this movie has them and they get destroyed yeah. so it's that's the obstacle they have to get past it's you have the fast cars as backup but then they get destroyed mm. and it's it's a very you know the, the heist does go off without a hitch really like they get they get out they get kind of on the way out and they're on the road and you know it's kind of well they've won yeah and then obviously uh, the back of the bus swings off the mountain, which uh, was done because they couldn't show a film, the censors, where criminals were seen to kind of win. Yeah, see, everybody thinks that, uh, I get, well, I've certainly heard that, uh, that there's a theory that they, they had that ending of the film so that they could possibly do a sequel. Well, that's not actually a theory. That's a, that's a true thing. Okay. So... The idea was that the mafia was going to turn up. They would get the you know they'd nick the gold, and then the movie would become uh, the the sequel would be the Brazilian job I think it was called, and it would be kind of Charlie and the crew going after the gold. Oh right, yeah. Which yeah. Uh, obviously didn't happen, but I think interestingly the this is an adaptation so it's based on a book, but the end of, the ending of the book is extremely different. Yeah. Because they make it back to England, and then Mr. Bridges says, we'll take it back. 
Does he? Yeah. <laughs> Which okay. for the film, I you know, I don't think it would have worked at all. No. You mentioned the uh, the modern films with uh, with cars which tend these days to be placed. Um, you know, BMW will pay a, a, a handsome fee for James Bond to drive one of their cars, or Aston Martin, yeah. or you know, uh, whichever company it might be. And the thing which comes across in the uh, Italian job is far more authentic. They've bought the cars, and they're there solely to, uh, to you know to sort of uh, to do the film, aren't they? And they show the cars along the way with damage on them. So you know yeah. when the car is coming up to uh, to try and go back into the uh, back of the transporter at the end, there's mud all over it. There's dents in it. You know it's been driven through um, a sewage, uh, you know sewage outlets and that sort of thing. Um, and for me as a car enthusiast, you know when you watch some of those films, the Bond films and what have you, where those companies have placed and paid for that car as part of the advertising, really. The car's never, never really shown with damage, or uh, it's never shown in a well, like they're always polished and looking sort of yeah, because fantastic in in the apart, shots. Apart from one or two of the James Bond films, uh, I can't remember which one it is. It might be Casino Royale or Quantum Solace. It has a big crash where it's got you know tons of rolls and stuff like that. Yeah, I think that's you know it's got like the award for the most like uh, natural rolls in a car. Yeah. But like, you don't see it because I'll see. It's a similar. It's a similar thing um, in games. So, games like Forza, where it's car games, you know, yeah. they uh, the companies, so like Ferrari and stuff, they will have their car in the game, but the damage in the game is, you know, essentially useless. There's no kind of you can't knock the bonnets off and no. you can't do all that no. because they don't want their cars to be destroyed. Yeah. So they don't want to be them to be depicted or or seen as damaged, and uh, and they, they avoid that. The one that uh, the one scene that really stands out is um, where they're driving the cars down through the sewage outlet. Yeah, and they're sort of uh, you know they're going sort of up the walls, and uh, you know those scenes, you know it's all um, it's all sort of dark and gloomy, and you've got the lights sort of piercing through the uh, the, the dark. And what they were actually trying to do was to drive the car in a complete corkscrew to get it yeah. to uh, to do a full sort of 360 in the tunnel. Um, and they they smashed a few cars trying to do that, I think. They well, could they, only do it sort of so far up the wall. They couldn't get the speed up enough. What they, what they did was, um, I think they tried it three or four times, and each time it ended up on the roof. So they kind of thought, well, we yeah we can't really waste any more cars on this. No, well you need you need to get up to a, uh, a considerable speed, wouldn't you, to be able to pull that off? Well, the, I'm not sure if it's ever been done actually. I think it has been done uh, by somebody, but not in a mini. I no. think it was because they the uh, to do it, you'd have to have realistically a dry surface. Yeah, you know, it'd have to be a, a very long tunnel. It'd be kind of the, the conditions would have to be perfect. Yeah, yeah. And obviously in this, you know, they're driving a sewer. So it's it's going to be, there's going to be stuff growing in there. There's going to be it, it water looked, and stuff. It looked and superb as a scene, though, didn't yeah. it? Yeah. Really. And um, and then they come out the other end of this sewage outlet, and um, and then two of the guys just drop the barrier down, and, uh, and the next car down, the Alfa Romeo um, police car, crashes into the barrier, and, um, and they're away, basically. 
there's also a scene where um i mean the, the car scenes we could talk about for yeah. for another hour or two couldn't we but uh the scene where they're up on the roof of the fiat factory so yeah. fiat uh fiat home base really was uh was turin that's what the name means so it's um f-i-a-t turin being the t and um and when their factory was designed it had a test track built on the roof and uh, and that's where the scene where uh, the cars are flying around and then they do a leap from one yeah. rooftop across to the other uh which is incredible isn't it you know, well that's um, the stunts in this film uh they're nothing compared to some stunts they do in films today, but they feel a lot more authentic. Yeah. You know? Yeah. They, it doesn't look like the, uh, the stuntman who did that jump, all the crew and stuff and the people working at the factory thought it was going to end in a fatality. Yeah. Whereas, you know, that kind of thing nowadays, if you have somebody doing a stunt of that, they would have wires, they'd have, they'd have uh, padding everywhere. It'd be kind of, yeah. If they do mess this up, they're probably going to be all right anyway. Yeah. So it's it feels like they're actually risking something. Feels more authentic. Yeah. And and the scenes in the cars, really, I think the stunts that they uh, they show of the cars, um, they they do feel authentic, and uh, you know they're for real. And yeah. That's what's what part of the appeal of the film is, I think. So uh, what would you give this out of ten then? I'd like to say 10 out of 10, but uh, I'd say perhaps 9 out of 10. 9 out of 10. Why not 10, then? Um, well, that's a good question. Um, I don't know. I would like to have... The, I'd like the, the film to have been concluded at the end. Yeah. Because uh, that's... I mean, it leaves it to the hanging quite literally, doesn't it? Um, so, so there's that, and... Um, I think that's it. That's it, really. Yeah. Well, I'm, I'm, I think I have to give it an eight. Because, and your eight would be because? Well, it's. Uh, I think it's because of the simplicity of it. So there are things that could have had more in there, you know. So I really, I think that had we seen a bit more of certain things... It would have just, you know, a bit. So a bit more length, I think, is what would be kind of needed to get it up to the higher, yeah, numbers. Yeah, but yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, obviously, eight still not low. No, so an eight and a nine—that's pretty good going. Yeah. Uh, yeah, that'll do it for this episode. Go subscribe, uh, and see you next week. <laughs>